Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is June 19, 2022. We're ready to begin our worship service. We are going to begin with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, thought of the week. We are said to be holy and blameless in his sight. Those words used to describe us cause us to stand apart from all creation. We are fulfilling an eternal role which they satisfy God in, in ways we can only begin to know. Much more is waiting for us when we get to the external state. For our lights and momentary troubles are achieved, are achieved for us an eternal glory. Excuse me a minute. Take your time, dear. <clears throat> Take your time. That all outweigh them all. There will be a special glory that is ours. The wisdom which is our conversation is said to be destined for our glory before time began. Our Lord prays to the Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Our destiny is, is filled with divine expectation. Can we be all that God will have us to be? Yes. While we cannot fully experience it all now, but we will soon step into the destiny plan for us so long ago. I don't want to push everything off to the eternal state because we are not yet there yet. Some might, some may get the impression that there is nothing to do now, but wait, not so. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Take it from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And um, the scripture says that we are to be holy and blameless in his sight. That gives us the definition of who we are in Christ. That is what we will be. So, I mean, you can look at this in a way that God destined for us to be for his time and for our glory when he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his life. And this is what I get out of thought of week. So now we have prayer given to us by prayer. Thank you, Dave. Um, at this time, I'd like to find out if anyone has any special prayer requests. Yes, uh, Fred was praying for Corinne and Cliff, but also for the fathers out there today. Uh, we're praying for those who are sick, um, uh, those who among us, and though you know the names, and uh, so I won't even go through mentioning them all. And I know Janae, let's put her in prayer. Uh, she's a mother-to-be very soon, any day now, I'm told. Alrighty, at this time, let us come before the throne of grace and God and offer prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, is we're grateful, Lord, and thankful, Lord, for this opportunity of worship to come before you. We're thankful, Lord, for life, health, and strength that you have given us and allowed us to come to this very moment where we might have the opportunity to take in your word. Praying, Lord, continually, Lord, for the, our church, where it is truth, that you might continue to bless and keep us, that we might continue uh, to honor your calling as we go down this road. Um, asking, Lord, that uh, you bless our pastor, that um, he might continue to deliver the word in season and out. 
asking, Lord, for special blessings as it is Father's Day today, as we have in America here come apart to honor fathers, that they may understand what a tremendous responsibility that we may honor God and those fathers may honor God and here on earth and be dutiful uh, and faithful stewards as fathers that are given such great responsibility. Heavenly Father, we're special prayers for Cliff and Corinne in particular. You know their needs. Asking, Lord, that you would reach out and continually, as you have done, continue to bless them and keep them and uh, go before them in their search. Remembering uh, Dave's daughter, I believe it is Lenora, as she continues to recover from surgery. Uh, asking for special prayer for the Myers family who still is grieving the loss. Asking that you continue to watch over each and every member of their family. Remember Dwight's wife, uh, Gretel, his ex-wife. You know her needs. Asking, Lord, that you would continually watch over and keep her. Um, we're thankful, Lord, for your faithfulness, uh, God's loving kindness and faithfulness that has gone before us all the days of our life. And we're thankful, Lord, uh, to you who has called us into fellowship with your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These prayers we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, who paid the penalty for our sins. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Dave. Thank you, Fred. Amen to both. <clears throat> we are going to continue where we left off. Um, it's uh, John 17, 21. And it says that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent you have sent me so there's a lot there I think in our notes and I thought I'd break it out a little bit and take our time we we are no we are in no rush to somehow finish that is not the goal that we finish talking about a particular verse but that we allow God the Holy Spirit to teach us everything he can about that verse before we move on to the next one so we'll, we take it phrase by phrase and I don't even think we <clears throat> exhausted as I look at the rest of the notes there is that one phrase so that the world may believe that you have sent me that I did not even cover so anyway so we, we're at the, our, you, sh you should all have notes. As we begin to dig into the special calling Jesus is praying about, we can see the familiar dynamics introduced earlier. To note, these dynamics were new to the disciples' ears. Never has any believer had the unique access to the members of the Godhead. Quote, in him and through him and through faith in him we may approach god with freedom and confidence and that's taken from ephesians 3:12 we must ask ourselves since god has graced us with so much who exactly are we i like the thought from job quote what is mankind that you make so much of them that you give them so much attention, Job 7:17. One unique feature of man is that we are created in the image of God. That's found in Genesis 1:27, and this seems to be a good place to start. So, there's a lot uh, about the verses that are ahead of us. Actually, the verses that were behind us set all this up for us. So we have to really take it all in the context. Without the context, none of these verses will have the meaning that they 
the the weight that they uh, they they bear. It's because of the context that we have arrived at the place where we are, and we can talk about this. <clears throat> so, this discourse, all in all, I would say, is so unique. If the church doesn't take time to focus on this last discourse, because it was directed toward us, then I just don't know um, why we would do, we would not focus. Hold on a sec here. Oh, oh, oh. Hold on. Resuming. So, as we look at these verses, and we're getting getting into it, we got a long, a lot to cover, a lot of notes here, but not that we will finish them all. But these verses speak, this, this discourse speaks directly to us. If, I mean, obviously the New Testament epistles are to us as well. I mean, that, if, that goes without saying. But if you don't have the discourse from Jesus to guide your thinking, Jesus introduced this to us. And now as we read the New Testament verse, verses and chapters that uh, pertain to what Jesus is saying, obviously it is going to have greater meaning as well. It's a context already. So it's, these verses are for us. So let's get into them. Let's dig in, as I said earlier. So the first phrase, that all of them may be one father. So we realize from the previous verse that the scope of Jesus' prayer went beyond the 11 disciples. And we, hopefully you got a lot of understanding of what it is, what was said about the 11 disciples. Hopefully that didn't escape you. <clears throat> about the glory and praying for them for protection in the world, um, how they were special and they adhered, you chose them and all this, you know, he's praying to the Father about us. We know that from last week as we discussed how it wasn't for them alone because we are one. We're not, we're not just one in the sense of uh, we got the same we, we got the same words on our lips. We're one because of divine a divine undertaking that has changed us. Now it's hard for religious people to understand that because the only change religious people see is change that happens where let's say if you were a drunkard and you no longer are a drunkard or you were a this and you're no longer that. That's the change religious people respect and see. But there's change that happens to us that's invisible. You can't see it. You don't experience it. But it's real. It's just, for instance, it's like the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. Now when you think about that one thought, Let's just hope they're rejoicing a lot in heaven because I hope a lot of people are being saved. But um, that is something that people may not realize while they're on the ground right away. But people in heaven acknowledge those changes. Now, whatever changes after salvation, well, God is going to judge those and we'll evaluate whether they were um, motivated by the sin nature or motivated by him and his plan. So we, but as far as the angels, the moment a person believes in Christ, they they acknowledge it. They realize that. So that's an interesting thought as we think about it. So the eleven disciples are a part of who we are. There's now obviously we we are not in the foundation. But the 11 disciples are, and we do share some things with them. And I, I think we're going to find out from these verses, this, this next verse, what they are. Point B, <clears throat> Jesus is praying to the Father for the church that he promised to build. And Matthew 16, 18 is our first verse, and he just says it this way. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. 
Now, what's the rock? The rock is not Peter. The rock is what Peter said and that Christ answered. Right? That Peter said, uh, you've got to go back to, um, to verse 16 to get Peter's answer. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And that's when he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, a small stone. And on this rock, the rock being verse 16, what Peter said, I will build my church. And notice, we already talked about the fact that a person to get into the church has to believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the Living God. That's part of it. That they are Jesus is the Savior. They got to be saved in order to get into the church. That was not true of Israel. Now, obviously, it wasn't God's ideal that a person can be an Israelite and not believe. I mean, God, their entire culture was infused with the gospel or aspects of the gospel. The temple services, all of uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, which happened year, yearly, all of it spoke of the salvation that God provides. And yet there were many Jews who were there week after week, year after year, and they refused to believe in the Messiah to come. So this information <clears throat> for us is is unique the church is built on that rock not on peter but on the confession that peter made point c all of them so when he says that all of them may be one father so just thinking about that phrase all of them so whatever these spiritual dynamics are and we're getting ready to get into them whatever they are they're applied to all of them that is all of us in this age that's what we are going to understand so we understand the same thing i mean there is one distinction to make <clears throat> we could say that i'm praying for those who believe on me uh through your message we already said what the message was last week and we took ephesians 1 13 to be very specific about what is this message when we hear the message of truth, what is the message? The gospel of your salvation. When you believe, that's how you are saved. But that, not only that, but that's how you get in Christ in this age. And that dovetails along with the Matthew verse we just read. So, this is important for us. It refers to all of us. Not some of us. All of us. So, whatever happens to the disciples, because they were all believers already. This wasn't about salvation as we discussed last week. This is about the special calling that we have. And you don't want to get the, get it confused like many have today. Like the Jews had in their day. <clears throat> they got their calling mixed up with the fact that they were supposed to put their trust in their soul salvation in the Messiah to come. It was a spiritual matter that they neglected and then eventually resisted. So it is today. Many people have not only neglected that point, but tried to behave as Christians without even the spiritual dynamics that are behind it when it comes to salvation, putting their trust in humility toward the Savior of the world and, and being saved. So... So whatever is to follow, that all of them may be one Father. So that's what we're talking about. All of us, not some of us. The church age is unique in that way. And point D. May be one. All of us may be one. The first thought here is that the dynamic is not true for the disciples now. Right? The first, so when I say that, I don't mean that it's not true. I mean, right now, as the disciples are looking at Jesus, they are not one. They don't have this oneness that Jesus is talking about. 
But Jesus is referring to something that is future. It's a future event, which he sees as even closer than them being at his side. <clears throat> so he says, it's better for you that I go away, because if I don't, if I go away, the comforter will come unto you. If I don't, then I, my father can't send them to you. So he's saying, whatever this spiritual dynamic is, it's better for us than Jesus literally being at their side, walking around with them. It's, 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 it's more prudent. It's, it, it makes more sense in Jesus' mind that he goes away and they get the comforter. And, they, and that this new age dawns obviously, <clears throat> for a lot of reasons, especially for the Father's eternal purpose, right? That, that makes a lot of sense. But notice, it was future. Disciples didn't have this yet, but Jesus was saying they would get it. We know when that is. It was Pentecost, when the Spirit did come and uh, perform all of the things that Jesus spoke about in this, uh, dis in this discourse. So that's a point to make. I, I like the, uh, the name, the Comforter. That's one name. Obviously, the Spirit of Truth. Right? There's all kinds of ways we could say it. You know, the Paraclete, which is the actual Greek word. <clears throat> when he comes, he will, you know, one who comforts or comes in. He's also just like Christ. So we have that. Point E. So we got to talk about this word one. Maybe one. So the Greek is heis. It's very simple. It means one. It's part of speech that's numerical. <clears throat> it's a numeral. This refers to the numeral one. So you, you don't have anything special with regard to the word one. Like, you might want to look into it and say, well, what does one mean? Maybe it has some super spiritual meaning. No, it doesn't. It just means one. <laughs> so, we have to use what is also said about this oneness in the scriptures to define clearly what does it mean that we're one. <clears throat> so, we we don't we don't think that it just means the numerical one that's point f why because the literal cannot be the meaning of one that's clear because it says all of them cannot literally be reduced to one so we're one but we're really not just one person we're we're not one in person we don't all merge into the same person we're not all the same person in some ways that might be true but it's not we got to define one and it doesn't mean it's reduced to the numerical number one so that meaning is thrown out because that all of them may be one so it's not that <clears throat> then point g as we turn our attention to what is spiritually or metaphorically meant by one right that's what we have to do we have to turn our attention to to the meaning so point h we see the same dynamic in a verse that speaks of relationship for fun let's look at the various translations right so I want to go to Hebrews 2.11. So we're just trying to understand what it means. Obviously, it doesn't mean numerically one. So we're going to have to see what the metaphor is. Like, what is it like? So Hebrews 2.11. Let's let it... Uh, we could read <clears throat> verse 10 just to get the warm-up. So, um, yeah, so we'll start at verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that's very fitting, right? because that's what we're talking about. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy 
R of the, and here is the translation here, of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So the word heis is in there. And uh, the NIV chose to translate that same family. That's interesting. So I just want to compare a few other translations to see what they have to say about it. The ASV for both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are, uh, are all of one. They just, just put the literal translation in there. Are all of one. And pre preferably I like that. Because we can figure out what the one means from other stuff, but you know, for us, for you to say it's, we're all big one, big happy family. Well, I'm not saying that doesn't have any application to it, but I like what it tells me in the Greek. We're all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So you could see where they get some idea of family here. Point. Uh, this is the BBE version. Okay. What is the BBE version? Just to know, that is the Bible and basic English. For he who makes holy those who are made holy are all of one family. And I think they're getting that from brothers in the context here, right? So they can use brothers. But we are all of one. He is not ashamed to call, to call them, to give them the name brothers. How about the CEV? What is the CEV? It's the Contemporary English Version. Jesus and the people he makes holy are be all belong to the same family. They just went out with the same family. ERV, which is the English, or I'm sorry, it's the easy to read version. Jesus, the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Hmm. Same family and family. That's how they translate one. What about the ESV? I think Dwight's favorite. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's interesting. One source. We're all coming from one source. Alright, so what about the Good News Bible? He who purifies people from their sins and both he and those who are made pure all have the same father. <laughs> now that's interesting as well. We all have the same father. Uh, and then the Greek, obviously we already said the Greek word is heis. It's in there. And um, so, but that's enough comparison. We have plenty. Just have some fun with, with that sometimes. If you guys have uh, multiple Bible versions you can read from at just call, all comes through courtesy of Esword. But I thought it was interesting. It gives us some some ways translators have uh, looked at that verse with one in it, and that, that verse also is about us, and it's about some other aspects of what we have in Christ. So uh, point. Uh, let's see. I think we're at point. I think we're at point G. No, we already did. Oh, we already did H. So let's look at I. Why not allow Jesus to define his own words for us to understand his meaning? So that that's another way to look at it. Even if we didn't have other scriptures, which we do have other scriptures. <clears throat> I could talk about we're in the body of Christ, we're one with the person of Christ, we are his body, he's the head. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways we can see it because that one will apply in different ways. But let's look at the point that Jesus is making when he says it because he's going to give us some explanation of what he means by one. Now, as we unfold that, we will see, likely see, other applications that will add more to it, which is not a problem. I think it's good. It gives us different aspects of what we're what we're dealing with. So, so the first phrase was that all of them may be one Father, and the second phrase is just as you are in me and I am in you. So the first words 
just as kathos, right? Kathos, it means according as, just as, even as, or in proportion as, in the degree that, since seeing that agreeably to the fact that, when, after that, right? So these are ways that that word is used and how it's, it's really a connective word because you can't just start out writing just as something. You have to have something that is that you're comparing it to, something that it's in proportion to, something that it is like. And here, he's explaining what he means by one, that all of them may be one father, just as. Well, okay, so thank you, because we're getting uh, some definition from the Lord in his prayer to the, his understanding of what that means to the Father. And I would say we want to sit up and pay attention to what Jesus has to say. I could tell you what I think one is all day long, but let's let Jesus tell us what he thinks one is. What does it mean that all of them may be one? And, and his prayer is not for them alone, but for us too uh, who believe in him through their message. And that all of us may have whatever he's getting ready to talk about. That this is going to be something that is not given to some. Not to people who have climbed Mount Everest. Or to ones who are spiritually adept and the priests and, and the bishops or whatever. This is to all of us. So that, whatever this is. It is a dynamic that is for everybody in the church age. Everybody who has, uh, who who's one, like like Jesus is saying. So let's look. Let's dig in a little bit. So we saw the just as, because the just as Jesus is going to give a comparison. That's point B, and that's the context, right? So, so remember, this comparison is related to the oneness that we have. I think I just explained point B as we were talking. I'm getting ahead of my own self. And that's exactly where I'm going because, well, logically, that's what we have to keep in mind. We don't just want to take these verses and just make them stand on their own two feet when we have a context here for them to reside in. And that's what's important. Point, so that's point B. So point C says, just as, even as, in the same degree as, and here's his statement. You are in me, and I am in you. So we took Father from the from this phrase, <clears throat> really, is that they may be one Father. So we're not saying one Father, that they may be one Father, just as you are. He's talking to the Father. He's just addressing the Father. And then he says, just as you are in me, and I am in you. So, wow, that takes us back, doesn't it? That makes us think about a lot of things, a lot of possibilities. So we got to start looking at those possibilities. Let's start with <clears throat> point D. And, and my, before we even get to point D, it is the same way as, even as, the same degree as Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. Now, Already, that is a lot. That is to say that this age, this whatever Jesus is conferring upon those 11 and us by extension, is something different. It never happened before. This is not something that we can say, yeah, if you go to Exodus, it says that. Or if you go to Isaiah or Ezekiel or somewhere, it says that. It does not say that. It does not. And it is not found. This is something completely unique. So, point D is, this should take us back to when we started the discourse in chapter 14, where Jesus was pressing the disciples to believe that he was in the Father and the Father was in him. we got to have to go back to that. John chapter 14. I know we haven't covered it in a while. But I think Jesus is making the point here, just like he made 
back then. So we'll start at 8. eight. <clears throat> Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So this is come, comes in response to Jesus saying, you, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. They're like, wait a minute. Philip was the one who spoke up. How in the world can we know him? And, and can you just show us the Father? If we know him and we have seen him, where is he? Right? I, I, I'd like to see him. And Jesus, they were completely not understanding the spiritual dynamics that were going on in Jesus. It was lost on them. So it's interesting. We don't have some high spiritual information here that like like the Masons or some secret group where you got to get to this level, 33rd or some level before you can have, comprehend this wisdom. That's not it. It's, these are people who don't understand a thing about what Jesus is talking about. And he gets to explain to them what he's talking about. And this, what are we talking about? This spiritual dynamic that we're talking about in John 17. It's the same thing that Jesus was emphasizing in 14. So what does he do? What, how, does he, how does he say it? Let's, let's get to the context of John 14. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough. And if you do that, We'll, we'll, we'll be satisfied if you do. You know, because we, we are not satisfied now. Because right now we don't know what you're talking about. That's what he's saying. Verse 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? So now, Philip probably could say to that, yeah, of course, of course I know you. I, of course I know who you are. I've been, I understand that. But then Jesus says, hits him with this. Anything, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Because remember, he's answering his question, right? He says uh, in verse 5, uh, not 5, it's verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, listen, I'm just going to move forward and tell you, you have seen him, right? You know him and you have seen him. Philip was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, his answer to him was, don't you know me after I've been among you such a long time? Well, yeah, Philip, you, you've been with me since the beginning of the ministry. Wasn't long after, before, after Jesus was baptized that Philip was called that started following Jesus. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, if I stop, if you stop right here and there was nothing else to say about this, let's just say we stopped here. Problem would be is that it's not complete. It's not enough for us to understand what he's talking about. At this point, Philip was probably saying, you and the Father are the same person. That's what Philip would be saying. That's what I would be saying. Philip and the Father are the same person. I'm Jesus and I'm getting confused with all these names. Jesus and the Father are the same person. He said, "Well, if you've seen me, seen the Father. Well, how do you define that? Well, you've been around me so long, and you know who I am. Well, then if you know who I am, then you have seen the Father." I think that doesn't answer it. <clears throat> He's got to go further to give us or explain to Philip what he means. And the other disciples are also probably on the edge of their seats trying to understand this as well. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Right? Now, of course, for us, we have to also recognize that this information is not something that is... Jesus may have told them this before. He may have shared this with them before. But their minds, traditionally, 
could not grasp it. I mean, he told them a lot. But he says, I have much more to tell you in John 16. More than you can now bear. Well, they're barely bearing this. Because he's saying uh, that this information is tough for you to understand. Now, it's not hard to understand. But it's traditionally hard for them to understand. Because think about where they are coming from. All of their theology hangs on the Mosaic Law and the prophets. That's where it hangs, right there. So it, and then it hangs from the place of what they've been, they've been taught about what the Mosaic Law and the prophets have said. So there's a lot of misconceptions. So when Jesus told them, yeah, in Matthew 16, where we read, later... I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed and crucified. I'm going to rise on it. Peter said, no way is that going to happen to you. Wrong. See, so, because in his teaching, the teaching about the Messiah was something different. They did not have within their theology, at least from his standpoint, that this was the case. But all we got to do is read Isaiah 53, and we can see that... Uh, all that is so. In fact, what Jesus said was basically what Isaiah said that he would do. But as far as they were saying, there's no way. That's Jesus had to rebuke Peter for de openly denying the word of God. So this, so then Jesus has to continue. He's he's setting the stage. He's not done when he says in verse nine because I think he would have needed more explanation, and he he provides it. And not only did he provide it here, but he provided it to the disciples already because Jesus is really pressing the disciples to understand this information. He's not just saying this like the first time, but it's a new concept to the disciples that they can't really understand from the theology that they've been taught. So uh, let's go to the next verse, verse 10. Don't you believe... Now, just notice where this is. This is not <clears throat> this is not something that the disciples <clears throat> couldn't understand. It is something that Jesus taught, and they did not believe. So it goes to the first point where Jesus says, "Do not." This is verse one. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So the, the problems that stemmed from the disciples is they didn't trust Jesus. It, it took time for them to come to trust the words of Jesus and to treat them as the word of God. Now today, that's not a problem, right? And some people even go to extra mile, at least in their minds, by saying, I, I, I only believe the red letters, I only believe that the, if Paul said it or Peter and all those other ones, I don't believe that. I only believe, but that's silly. That's really silly to think. Now, of course, they don't think so, but it really is. The whole Bible is the word of God. The whole New Testament, whether Paul or Peter or James or John wrote it, it's the word of God. I mean, in fact, it is that John is the one who wrote this. And said, this is what Jesus said. So, but it's John writing it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it really doesn't make sense to say it's only the, what Jesus said. So we, we believe in the Bible. So, so he's saying, you believe in God, believe also in me. I'm telling you the truth. So his first thing in, in 10, don't you believe. Don't you believe that I am in my Father and that the Father is in me? So there we have the very dynamic that we are talking about in 17, where it says that, that all of them may be one Father in the same way as you are in me and I am in you. By, by the end of the discourse, they got that. They believed, and we, we have the testimony 
that Jesus says, and they believe that I gave them the words you gave me, and they believe them. They believe that I came from you and so forth. And they know that all things now come from you. They understand that now. So, but here, they were baffled. It's clear by their question, Philip's question. And I think Philip's question is for the other disciples as well. I don't think the other disciples said, hey, why are you asking that dumb question? No, they wanted to hear the answer just as much as Philip. So don't you believe that I am in my Father and that the Father is in me? Let's get to the heart of the matter. And that's what Jesus did right there. Because that is what he's talking about. That's what he means by earlier when he said, uh, and here I'll just read it. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> How is it that you have seen him? That I am in my Father and that my Father is in me. Then he goes on further because we need more. How does that work? <clears throat> the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. This, this verse is really important for us. So when we think about his answer, he's saying, what I'm telling you, the words you hear me talk, the words that come out of my mouth, <clears throat> I don't speak on my own authority. So notice, first of all, one does not mean that Jesus is the Father. We already identified that the one doesn't mean that because we said that all of them earlier may be one. We, we know it can't mean just one. We're not all going to be reduced to one person in the sense that numerically. It's always going to be all of them. It's going to be and bringing many sons into glory. <clears throat> right? It's not one, many. So there is a dynamic going on and that's what we're learning here, what it is. So the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. So Jesus could speak on his own authority, but he is in submission to the Father so that the submission is not like, tell me whatever you want to tell me. No, the submission is that Jesus is submitting to the Father's plan. And whatever the Father's plan is, that's what he wants to do as well. So he loves the Father, he's committed to it, <clears throat> he's dedicated to it, and that's what we call love for the Father's plan. And he's devoted to that. Whatever the Father wants him to do according to the plan, he wants to do it just as well. And he's the one on the ground executing it. So, he's, so even the words, now here, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. So, so that means that when Jesus was teaching them, he was not teaching them based on what he wanted to teach. He was teaching them based on, here it is, <clears throat> rather, it is the Father living in me. So here is the first part where we're getting into what is this spiritual dynamic. Now, it's not the first time the disciples are hearing this. But Jesus is pleading with them to believe this because this is what's really going on. So, the, now get this, the Father living in me. So, the Father is living somewhere. That means he's at home there. He's at home in the person of Christ. And he is able to manifest through teaching. And right here, he's manifesting through teaching. But notice, <clears throat> it says here, at this last phrase, who is doing his work. So you would think, um, since we're talking about the words I say to you, you would think 
it would say, who is speaking those words? Who is the one who is speaking those words? But no, it doesn't say that. Jesus goes to a broad understanding of what's going on. He says, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So he is doing his work, which includes the words that he says, but more than that. He's intro who's introducing this new dispensation? It's not Jesus. It's the Father. The Father is the one that is introducing it through Jesus. So we had better listen to what Jesus has to say. That's why Jesus said earlier, you believe in God, <clears throat> meaning the Father, but you got to believe also in me. So then he's telling them why, because it's the Father living in him who is doing his work. It's the Father who's introducing this. It's the Father's plan, but the way the Father designed that we receive it is through the person of Christ. That's why Christ talks about later, all things that belong to the Father are mine. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The Father in Christ is represented by uh, him doing his work. What is his work? It is to reveal what was in his heart from eternity past, which was hidden, which was not revealed to any person, any angel. But the Father is in Christ revealing this information through the person of Christ to those 11 disciples that are standing there. So it's the Father living in me who is doing his work, not just saying the words, but that's what we're talking about. Jesus is saying everything about me is the Father. I'm in submission to the Father. I'm in whatever, the fa however the Father wants to manifest in me when it comes to who he is and this new, but it's not just, hey, by the way, I'm the Father. It is about this new plan. Even a, the part about I'm going to the Father's house to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will receive, all of that is about the Father's eternal plan. So let's look at the next verse. I know time is getting away from us, and I know I'm taking my time. So it's the Father doing the work. Verse 11. Believe me. So look, believe me when I say. So Jesus is pleading with him. He already said, well, what do you mean? How can you say that, Philip? Don't you know? Don't you believe? I told you this before. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in right. So here in verse 11, he continues to plead with him. How important this point is for us, I must say. Because look, traditionally, religiously, the disciples did not receive it. They backed away from this statement. For us, we need to know that the disciples did understand eventually and believe it. We saw that in 17. But now, we have to do the same thing. We have to believe it. Can we believe the statement? This is a spiritual dynamic that did not exist prior to this age, but it exists now. We have to throw away everything we thought. We're not Israel. We're not operating the way Israel did. Because all of this was hidden from Israel. Don't, don't, I don't expect them to know this. So they got to believe in God, believe also in Christ and his words. So 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. And he gets to another point here, but, but notice what he's stressing. He's, he's pressuring the disciples on this point. Now, you have to know that even though we're reading this discourse, the Holy Spirit is giving us this information. doesn't mean every single word Jesus said to them that we got in writing. And just like the miracles, the signs and the wonders, right? Did we get every miracle, sign, and wonder? Absolutely not. In fact, John says, if, if we could, I'm only, these are written that you might believe. Jesus Christ. He did many other things that are not written in this book. 
but these are written so that, right? So this, in the same way, when I read this discourse, I don't think that this was, we, we should just, that there was no other teaching around this. Whatever teaching there was around this, it was more for emphasis. But the Holy Spirit has given us what we have here, and this is what Christ said. But I, I would not imagine that was all that he said. There was probably more. But that more, obviously, is codified in these verses that are in front of us. So I say, and this last phrase, right, because suppose, where do we go with this? Jesus has presented himself as the Messiah. He has done many, not some, many miraculous signs and wonders in their presence. Many. So, what are the, where do the disciples go now with this? He's saying things that are outside of what they consider their theology. Where do they go? Jesus is now pleading with them. He says, look, everything I've been telling you, everything I've been saying is really the Father doing his work. He's trying to reveal this new plan. That's his work. So, verse 11 nails it. So believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe. Right, now get this. Or at least, or at the very least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So what does that say? That says, look, you've seen me do all these miraculous things. You've seen it. There's no way I could have done all those things. So you know something's going on here. You know I'm not just some person who's come up and telling you these things. I, there, God is with me. You know that. So if you don't understand what I'm saying, I can get that. But at least, at the very least, there's evidence for what I'm telling you to be true. And that's the works themselves. All of those many things that John said, if, if we could... If, if we were to write them all down, there wouldn't be enough books to contain all the things that we saw. Even Nicodemus, who wasn't following Christ around all the time, like the disciples were, guess what? He, he saw enough so that he could write, we know that God is with you. We know it. Because no one can do the works you do unless God is with them. So for sure, that's the very least that you would understand. An unbeliever would understand that. And that's what Nicodemus was. He was an unbeliever. So at least you got to start right there. He says, look, you got to know God is with me. He's not just with me in the works. He's with me in my words as well. The Father's doing his work. He's presenting a new dispensation. And that's where you need to understand. That's where you need to be because that's who, why he's called you. So that you will be the foundation of that new age. Okay, back to your notes. <clears throat> I think we, we got one more point here. And then we're going to have to take a break until next week. So this took us back to chapter 14 where Christ was pleading with the disciples. As we said in 17, we saw that the disciples did believe. Point E, we can see why it was important for them to believe. Because the same relationship that would be theirs, uh, the same relationship would be theirs on Pentecost. And since we're already in uh, John 14, we'll just read 20 through 23. And... Um, We'll start with 19, really. Because <clears throat> you think he gives up on this one point? No, he continues to talk about it. The spiritual dynamic that was in him. Why was he pleading so much with them to believe it? Was because it would also be a part of their spiritual lives. As we are reading about in 17. And also we are getting ready to read about in 20 through 23. So 19, let's just pick up a little bit. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. And he's talking about the fact that he's going to die. He's 
death is a separation. And when he dies, he's going to be separated from this world. Now, we will, they will see him in his resurrection body. But when he ascends, that's it. The world will not see him anymore until he comes back in the second coming. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. Now, he's not talking about the second coming and all of that, right? So we got to get the timing, the timeline correct. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So when he does ascend, he's saying, I'm going to come to you. And sure enough, he does. How does that happen? Pentecost, where the Spirit comes. And just the very thing that Trice has been talking about in the entire discourse about the Spirit coming and he will be with you. I will be. And now part of the Spirit being with him uh, are coming in his place. He gives us this dynamic. On that day, he says, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. So now, Jesus says, that when Pentecost happens, that this spiritual dynamic will happen f for you, literally. I mean, we, how do we read that? I am in my Father. So now when he says that I am in my father, he's abbreviating that. He's not just saying that that's that one side of it is only true. You know, what he's saying is the same as what he's been trying to tell people in verse 11 or 10 and 11, that I am in my father and that the father is in me. He's just abbreviating it in 20. Right? So this, you will realize, remember, so there's a difference between believing and knowing. Now, if you don't believe, believing is a sense of perception. You don't believe, you can't come to understand and know. But so when you do believe, you can come to understand and know. For instance, you could say, I, I, don't, I don't believe in that, Christ, that God created all things. I don't believe that. So, the truth is, God told us he did. It's in Hebrews 11. It says he created the universe. In the beginning, in Genesis it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, you could say, I don't believe that. But you'll never know how the universe was created. You'll never understand how God did it. How it came to be. Because God said he already did it. You said, I don't believe that. But if you believe it, then you can, you can know and understand how the universe got here. So in the same way, so what, what we do through faith is we realize it. It's not a matter of believing it anymore. We do believe it. We trust it, that that information is correct. We've, we've, it is lodged in our heart. And we use that as a building block for other information that we need to know. Right? We don't go back to, well, yeah, we came from monkeys or apes. That, that's not in my thinking. I'm in the image of God. If you want to know where I came from, I came from God, not from some animal. So anyway, let's, let's dig into this. On that day, you will realize. So once we get to Pentecost, you'll know what I've been trying to tell you all this time. That I am my father, and he shortened it. Because really, and the Father is in me. So that's truth he already established. That's what he was trying to get them to understand. But guess what he includes? His last phrase. And you are in me. And I am in you. We're going to talk more about that phrase. But you can see that it includes the disciples now. So, so the very thing they were struggling with in earlier, right? Well, what do you mean you're in the Father? What does that mean? Show us the Father. The very thing they were struggling with is going to be true of them when Pentecost comes. So I, hopefully this is re, something where we can at least understand from a base point of view how these things are developed 
and what Jesus is actually saying about these things because I want to take my time. Why? I'm going to take a moment just to say this. Why take such time? Because we covered this already. It's because we, we need to make sure that we understand this is not just some words that are said, but there are that we, we respect the actions that have been taken or undertaken by God in order to make us who we are in Christ. When it says we are a new creation, we, we need to understand what are the, the mechanics of that. And Jesus' words here, if we take them at face value, are saying that. I don't know what else we could make them say because this is what he's telling us. This is the reality. This is the truth. It is not a matter of, let me test it, let me get a blood test and see. No, what it's a matter of is that God did it, and he calls on us to believe it. Sort of like the universe. He did it. He created the universe, and he says to us, believe me when I tell you I created the universe. And then this verse is like, well, when Pentecost comes, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. So here, this dynamic here in verse 20, you are in me and I am in you. Wow. That's the same thing Jesus is saying. I am in my Father and my Father is in me. But he's saying, you are in me and I am in you. That's the same dynamic except the Father... And we didn't get to that part of the verse yet in our 1721. It's the same dynamic that Jesus is telling him. It's just as you are in me and I am in you. No, you are, I am in my Father and my Father's in me. It's just as that. But here it is. You are in me and I am in you. There are results from Christ being in us and us being in Christ. And that one result would be that the Father is also in us and we are in him. We'll get to that and more of what it all means, what we have termed mutual possession. I just don't want to throw words around. I want us to read what the scripture says about these words. So let's bow our heads. We'll come back to this. Hopefully, uh, just stay tuned. We'll, we'll, we'll work our way through it. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this morning. Father, give us understanding. Challenge us by the words that, just like the disciples were challenged, challenge us to understand and put our trust in this new spiritual dynamic that is ours in this age. It's a, for all of us, not some of us, all of us. So we, as we continue, Father, we pray that we will continue in this world, that you will protect us. Just like you said uh, in your prayer to the Father, we're, Father, we're praying the same thing, that we will have protection in this world because it's dangerous. We pray for each other as that you would watch between us as we are here executing the plan in this world. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.